Welcome, everyone, to the premiere of this new season of the Bleed Crimson and Blue podcast. My name is Jason Carter, and I am a proud class of 2009 KU alum, and I am joined, as always, by my fellow classmate and longtime buddy, Garrett Hagis. What up? (laughs) If you are new to our show, we simply get together here to discuss our shared lifelong passion for the University of Kansas men's basketball program. This season will follow every detail of the 2018-2019 Jayhawks season, as well as related developments in Big 12 basketball, the NCAA tournament, and even find time for the rest of the sports world with particular emphasis on the city of Kansas City. In today's episode, we'll review the start of this young Jayhawk season and who's making waves in the NCAA. We've got some takes on this fall's Adidas trial revelations, and we'll finish with some hype on this amazing Kansas City Chiefs season. So Garrett, how's it going? I know you saw this amazing Kansas City Chiefs game last night. Uh, What'd you think? Did you stay up for it? Yeah, I'm salty. We'll, We'll get into, we'll touch on that more in depth later, but basically I'm I'm salty over the loss. Great, entertaining game. Uh, tough, more tough to stomach. But things are going great. Happy to be back with you for another season. Joining in from Lawrence, Kansas, and uh, hoping to lend some insight on these first couple of games. Yeah, cool. Uh, you know, yeah, we're back for another season. We like to think maybe we have some new listeners. Maybe our old uh, friends and family are certainly hanging around. Uh, do you want to give uh, the audience uh, just a, a brief review of you, your relationship with KU? What do you do? Uh, uh, you're a proud business owner in Lawrence, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, recently started a business in Lawrence within uh, the last year and a half or so. Uh, we're in our first year, so it's keeping me busy, that's for sure. Uh, but glad to be back in Lawrence. I was commuting from Kansas City uh, recently. Been back in Lawrence basically for basketball season, uh, so that's been great. Also a 2009 KU alum uh, with Jason. Uh, only stayed at my career for you know a year or so, then I retired <laughs> and uh, came back to KU to graduate again in 2016. So two-time KU alum here. Loving the basketball. Glad to... Uh, have two rounds of KU for that. Cool. Yeah, I myself, uh, I live in, currently in Chicago, Illinois. I was a, a class of 2009 undergrad with Garrett. I hung around uh, for a few years after that, happened to meet uh, my lovely uh, wife, uh, so that was a good decision. Um, my dad went to KU. Uh, Garrett, I know, has got KU in the blood in the same way, uh, you know, being a kid all the way through high school as a KU fan and then went to undergrad there, you know, attending the games with my buddies in person, building that lifelong relationship right at the start of the Bill Self era. And that's continued on. I am a proud father currently of one in, in about two weeks, the second. And uh, so that's always keeping me busy. And uh, but this uh, this podcast is just uh, uh, great fun for Garrett and I. Uh, a great chance to get together to just rehash our own thoughts after you know this crazy uh, these crazy seasons, the crazy developments. Uh, uh, so yeah, we've been doing this uh, for a couple years now, and uh, been obviously uh, talking KU uh, for many years prior. And uh, so yeah, we're just yeah, glad to be been back. arguing been arguing basketball for many more years than that (laughs) that's for sure yeah it was great though uh quick shout out to jason for hosting the watch party for the 2008 national championship i literally watched it at jason's apartment before storming mass after that wonderful victory so that's a little bit of our connection uh let's let's get started you know uh 
for talking sure. about KU basketball. For sure, yeah. So, uh, yeah, to start us off, we're going to cover, um, I think this is still a great, uh, you know, a great way to start the season, uh, uh, you know, rather guessing of what's to come. Uh, we've got a few games under our belt. Uh, it's been pretty exciting. Mr. Garrett has traveled uh, quite a bit. Well, he's seen games in Lawrence. He also came through my way in Chicago on his way to Indianapolis. He's going to be able to give you in-person insight into the Champions Classic, made it out there uh, uh, with a couple buddies uh, to catch the KU Michigan State game. Uh, so yeah, we're going to get into a few of these games that have already passed, talk about uh, you know some trends from the season, and then talk about what's coming. So you know why not start it right from uh, the beginning of the regular season? You know KU started um, uh, not. Always, not a very common occurrence, even though we're typically in the top 10, top five to start the season. But we started the preseason ranked number one. It was an interesting number one because um, I think Duke was naturally a close two with a pretty much unprecedented, uh, unprecedented uh, recruiting class um, with the top three recruits. Uh, you know, as much as Calipari's done in the past, we've never seen that. Uh, we'll get into Duke in a little bit, but KU starts the season ranked number one. They go November 6 uh, to Indianapolis. And they play number 10 Michigan State. Um, always, uh, always a challenge. And the Champions Classic, I think, is was typically at our number. And we get a five-point win. Uh, Garrett, you were there in person. Uh, what do you, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I was kind of surprised. Michigan State, I don't know if uh, any of our listeners remember, my dad's a Michigan State alum. So I was born and raised a Michigan State fan. But honestly, this year, they're in my doghouse. I, I don't have the same love for them with some of their uh, – you know, off-season scandals that were going on. Uh, some of the players that, that were I really adored watching did, did some pretty terrible things there. So they're in my doghouse. But uh, because of that, I went into the game not having followed them in the off-season much. I didn't know who was coming back. I know they lost uh, Jaron Jackson and uh, Miles Bridges to the draft, and those were by far and away their two best players. But they didn't return a slouch team. They returned uh, three upperclassmen that have played together since day one as freshmen. They had Cassius Winston, who's probably their best player uh, at this point, uh, surpassing Nick Ward down low. Um, and then they have Howard as well, shooting guard, shoots very well. And all three of those guys, you know, that's not a slouch team uh, with Matthew McQuaid, uh, experienced senior. So KU coming out the way they did, they jumped ahead uh really exceeded my expectations there from the get-go. It was very exciting. The score does not reflect the dominance at all that KU, uh, you know, showed throughout 75 to 90% of that game. So the, the thing that surprised me most about actually being there was the distribution of fans in the crowd. I thought KU alumni would travel uh, pretty well. They were about 10%. Michigan State, uh, they usually travel well down to Indianapolis because they're not too far away. Michigan State, I believe that's where... Uh, they've had success in the Final Four before with Izzo, so it should have a you know pretty good place in Michigan State fans' hearts. They were about 5% of the crowd, and so was Duke. Uh, the rest was 80%. All of that was Kentucky. So it was loud for Kentucky. It was kind of not as loud for this KU-Michigan State game, but it was a great experience. It was great. I was, I was totally impressed with KU's guard play. Um, Quentin Grimes and uh, Dotson you know, was, was just great. I thought they... They played really well. It was an exciting game, exciting experience. Yeah, right. Yeah, so they uh, they come out and uh, on fire. Uh, Grimes uh, finished six for ten for three. We were up. Uh, I, we were up, I believe, fifteen at half. I forget if it was fifteen or twelve, and only because Michigan State hit a buzzer beater, right? Uh, even just uh, to to peel off. I mean, we were just ripping, and then we ripped continually into the second half. Yeah, watching it in TV, everything you're saying was the same experience. It felt like about seventy-five to eighty percent, you know, of the game 
game, it was pretty much decided. And we've got a history of this with Izzo. Uh, you know, you couldn't get comfortable that, you know, they, they, they went on. Uh, it never feels quite like a run. It's just like a, you know, a fantastic chipping away at you to suddenly, you know, it's a five-point game. I think, you know, then uh, um, Yudoka getting put on the line late, uh, you know, you know, were we going to let it slip into two possessions? But, uh, you know, we really held out. It was always going to be an uphill battle as far as Michigan State let themselves get down. Uh, really impressive, uh, you know, how, uh, um, yeah, particularly the young uh, uh, Grimes. It seems like we have a history of some of these young guys. Andrew Wiggins had a pretty fabulous uh, Champions Classic back then, but but kind of rising. We'll see how that comes later. Diedrich Lawson ended up really filling out the score sheet with 14 points, but I remember, yeah, I, uh, he was 5 for 18 for field goals, so it wasn't his, you know, sharpest game, um, but other than making a presence, you know, both passing and rebounding, and uh, that was a nice early sh showcase for him. Um, yeah, I remember looking up at the scoreboard during the game and realizing that Lawson was already getting a, snatching a ton of rebounds. He seems like that kind of guy that's going to get you those sneaky, a lot of weak side rebounds maybe, or putbacks for himself, or he's already in the lane. 5 for 18 isn't really the shooting you want to see. Um, but yeah, Quentin Grimes, 6 for 10 from 3 coming out the gate against a, a team like Michigan State. And, you know, he's a big kid. He's He's built like a strong... Uh, you know, he's playing point guard in, in college. He's built like he could be a strong small forward. Uh, so he's it's really nice to see that out of our guard play. Uh, one thing to note, Michigan State put up 87 points, and we were dominating, you know, for that first half. So for them to come back like that and end up finishing with 87, you know, this is something we might get into, but it's not something to be said about our defense. Michigan State's not really known like KU for running up scores and, you know, hitting 90 and clearing 90 very often. Okay, that's a good point. Um, you know, from my recollection, I'll also say, I mean, I think uh, maybe trends for what we could see, what we hope to see. I mean, yeah, uh, led by Nick Ward, you know, Michigan State, you know, at least college-wise, has a pretty supreme, you know, college big man, a senior with a lot of experience. And uh, But we generally won that matchup. I think you could really tell that they were overwhelmed by the depth that we could throw at them, you know, particularly Udoka. And, uh, you know, I, I think all season it'll be, you know, every, every game will be, you know, hopefully he can stay out of foul trouble and then he can have a significant presence but even when he goes out the fact that uh you know now Lightfoot has beefed up a little bit and can hold his own in some quality minutes I think we're gonna we'll get into some you know some other players and some projections for the future but I thought this game really stuck out you know I think through our non-conference play it will stick out that this is uh, uh I, I was checking a uh, Michigan State you know even with a loss and it's hard to say you know where they'll be in the early BPI they're number eight and that's you know uh sticks out pretty well as uh, the hardest matchup, um, and and it was still early for what Michigan State will be, but uh, just a nice sign that it's it's hard to imagine uh, facing many teams with uh, more quality, uh, you know, at least an individual big man, and they had some pretty good backups, and uh, you know we were um, that's what we're expecting this season that uh, uh, that uh, we're going to be quite formidable, yeah, with our depth. Right, definitely a good first matchup and good first game to have because, like I said, Michigan State was no slouch. Um, I think coming away from the Champions Classic there, uh, Kentucky might have been the worst team, uh, also based on some of the games they've had since then. Uh, they played a really close matchup against a poor team in the game following this one. Um, so it's interesting uh, to kind of, we'll see as the season plays on, where will Michigan State end up and where will Kentucky end up? Are they a top uh, five team like they started the season? Or are they going to be a team that's you know trying to stay in the top 20? Uh, so that's pretty interesting. And also one thing following uh, this game, 
we saw Duke actually jump ahead of KU in the rankings. Well, you, you their... saw them in person. <laughs> yes. Yeah yeah, yeah. 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 They were something else. Yeah. They, they came out, out of the gate and they were something else to watch. Um, you know, it, it was funny because Kentucky fans were, were very loud and present, um, you know, r- right away. They're, you know, doing their chants across the arena. It was, it was really cute. Um, but anyway, uh, Duke comes out and Zion Williamson goes and, and it's when he gets the ball immediately, he's at, he's at the top of the perimeter and he squares up and Kentucky fans all around me, multiple ones are yelling the same thing. They're making fun of him for being overweight saying, get him out of there. He's too heavy to play basketball. And he just coolly drains a three pointer for his first shot goes right in perfect swoosh and i was thinking wow i've never seen this kid shoot threes and that's his first shot of the game i never heard any kentucky fan be able to yell anything at him for the rest of the game they came out dominated because of that dominating performance jumped ku in the rankings which i personally didn't expect because ku beat a pretty good team at michigan state i was surprised by the jump no matter how good duke looked i thought that was a limited sample size to allow that to occur i'm not overly surprised by it but I, I was surprised i expected a little bit more to have to be proven um you know duke has played great since then you, you can't knock them they, they are a great uh team in the country but you know we, we don't know how they would fare against ku and i thought that was quite quite a stretch to jump them i don't know your thoughts on that no yeah it, was, it felt uh, pretty unprecedented to not lose and then uh immediately um get jumped but uh you know immediately watching it at home on tv i mean uh, they caught you know the nation's attention you know uh they were all all the hype i mean 118 points i think it was and uh you know uh, you know the commenters were just in awe and a uh, 35 plus point beatdown of kentucky it was impressive and uh, I mean, as, as as little as you can know about the early season, I have no problems with it, other than it being unusual. It takes a little heat off of KU, other than, you know, pride of being number one. Sure, let Duke take the mantle after, you know, a huge blowout like that. The nation is, frankly, really impressed, uh, you know, with uh, their trio, um, and they are Zion and Cam Reddish, um, and uh, I forget the other one. Um, Barrett. Ba- right. Yeah, R- yeah R- R- RJ, RJ Barrett, and uh, I was I just saw, I was, yeah, uh, he's good. I was catching on <laughs> he's ESPN, good. they just beat number eight Auburn so you know they continue to roll and uh, they will probably be the story of the season and I think that's just fine position for you know KU to be in Um, it's hard to imagine uh, KU's kind of feeling their way KU's shown a lot of talent got an extremely impressive win but um, I don't know if I expect you know we don't have uh, you know the high profile matchups like Kentucky necessarily Villanova's coming up we'll get into that but Villanova's just dropped two games and so in terms of what's coming um uh so you know if we were to you know uh as good as duke looks you know we won't see them this year and if we ride like a a low profile number two top five range um that could be fine with me you know yeah yeah i'm not picky i think you and i stay in the same place it's whoop-de-doo you're number one or number two in the regular season you know you're going to be in the top school in your conference you're going to probably bring you know, home your conference title if you're ranked that high at the end of the year. That's where we want to be. We want to be in good shape entering. It'd be nice to have a number one seed entering the NCAA tournament, you know, and you'll get that usually in the top top five. You did mention Duke beating Auburn. Yeah, number eight Auburn, kind of a neutral floor, but I was able to uh, 
uh, catch some of the considerable amount of the first half. Um, and, you know, Duke started out being fairly dominant, but Auburn kept it close. Duke only wins by six, 78 to 72. And in that setting in Maui, that was a, a 90, 95% Duke crowd. So it was, a, you know, they traveled well. So that jam was probably really loud for Duke and they only squeezed out by six. So that, that means they're human. You know, they're back, brought back down to earth by this Auburn game tonight, uh, only scoring 78 points. Auburn is, you know, a top 10 team. Number eight isn't bad at all, but I think that's where you'd expect a one verse eight to be where the number one seed is within reach. So it'll be interesting to see how this plays out. And yeah, I don't mind if KU ends up, you know, falling and going in different places in the top 10 as long as they have a good season, a strong finish. That's what matters. Well, getting into the games to follow, I think the thread here is after the first game, probably the most unexpected contender for what is now the storyline of the early KU season would be the guy in the Michigan State game who in 30 minutes only scored two points. That is LeGerald Vick, who in the two games to follow has sequentially topped his career high. Uh, first game, an 84-68 home win against Vermont. Vermont's a team who had, uh, you know, given a lot of top teams uh, all their money in, uh, you know, uh, the years prior. I think, I forget if they beat Kentucky. I know it was really close at Kentucky. So uh, there was some alert in the media to buzz. But we win by 16, 84-68. LeGerald Vick with 32 points, a school record perfect eight for eight from three. I mean, just an amazing performance. Not quite like, you know, I, from what I saw, this was not quite like the, the Sfee stroking we're used to, or even the Devontae Graham. I mean, just a guy absolutely feeling it, just rising, you know, hands in his face, you know, getting open ones, but just, you know, a Vic we've seen hints at. We've seen, you know, some high point games, you know, in previous years in very, you know, infrequent spurts, but man, 32 points. And then I'll just mention it and we'll, you know, break each, uh, uh, individually as you'd like but the 13 point win to follow he tops it with 33 points and this time six for ten from threes so I mean you know uh, going from nowhere to now he's the leading scorer with uh, you know um, uh, so y you saw one of these games in person the Vermont game right yeah yeah I went to the Vermont game uh, that was great actually Gabby Hagas my younger sister who's just got married so she now is Gabby Greer I uh, was able to join me for that one great uh, family outing. We really enjoyed it. Um, right away from the get-go, Gerald's first shot, uh, you could tell he was feeling it. He was one thing that I think is uh, underrated for LeGerald when it comes to his three-point shot that we haven't seen out of someone like Svee that you mentioned is LeGerald's vertical is such that he's able to get up, and he rises up considerably on his threes where he's, you know, you're you're taught not necessarily to really jump and contest a lot. So a lot of times, if someone's just sticking their arm up, he's going to get over that with his three point shot. And so if he's being aggressive, he's making this many threes to where he's shooting, I believe, well over fifty percent right now, which is insane. I hope he stays aggressive. I hope he continues to do this. You know, keep shooting. If he only shot, if he's shooting that well and he only shoots eight threes, I'm okay with him shooting fifteen. You know, if he goes seven for 15 from three, that's a successful game. So I hope he stays aggressive. He's getting these these high points on high efficiency. Uh, another guy who's who's going to be a key role player this year is Udoka. And he's kind of been a little bit of the model of consistency through these first two games. You know, getting in double-double range is sort of where he's going to be. That'd be cool if he averages a double-double for us. Uh, but it'd be nice to see him 
be aggressive too. He's going to have a lot of, of weight on his shoulders uh, because Diedrich, who we'll get to in a second, seems like he'll be there and he might have a game where he disappears and it might fall on Doak. Uh, one thing about Doak, if you noticed his new free throw stroke, he's got a little softer touch. Might uh, flirt with my over-under for Doak is 60% from the line this year. What do you think? <laughs> he's currently at 42%. I did all the oh. stats study for this podcast. <laughs> so, hey, that's ambitious. Uh, yeah, Garrett's got a history of uh, taking, uh, uh, trying to con us into ill-advised bets. Maybe he knows something, though. I, Vegas, I, I never get Vegas, too huh? comfortable uh, <laughs> getting too confident on that, you know, if he's proposing that. But, uh, okay, I think I'm, I, I've got some thoughts on LeGerald that I will get back to because um, I think that's a great storyline. But Diedrich, who you hinted at, he's kind of interesting. So we talked about in the first game, 20 points, filled out the stat sheet. Uh, frankly, kind of a shocking turn uh, in the next game. Uh, you know, we survived it by LeGerald Vick, but uh, 0. 0.0 for six field goals. I think it was a game that was closer than we wanted. Man, you know, if that had been really close, that would have really stuck out. So um, so here's the story with Diedrich. I mean, I would say preseason, he was getting mentioned in the first team All-America campaign nationally. You know, um, good reasons for that. Uh, he basically left Memphis, you know, with a double-double average. I think it was 19 and 11, full year off, you know, to play under um, Yudoka and, and, and our big men last year. And um, But, you know, that's a lot of hype. These are, you know, the biggest names in college basketball. Um, so that's a lot to live up to, and especially a guy we've never seen in our uniform. So he looked the form the first game, zero points. I mean, that's kind of a big, you know, first-team All-American guys, you know, you think uh, models of consistency, I think like Tyler Hansbro types. It's not always even like the white-hot, you know, NBA draft-type talents, you know. It's like the meat and potatoes, like great, you know. This would be last year, Devontae, and also you know, Villanova's like Jalen Brunson, the guys who bring it every night. So whatever happened that night, um, in the game to follow... Um, he, you know, uh, not a, gr uh, or actually a, a, a return to form. I saw, yeah, six for 11, 19.6 rebounds, maybe showing more himself. It's, it's just been interesting. And, uh, my, my finishing thought is, I mean, yeah, you know, even Bill Self was saying that D called Diedrich Lawson, maybe the best passer he'd ever had at KU beyond even national player of the year, Frank Mason, or some of these guys or guards, you know? So, I mean, this is a lot of hype, uh, that quietly got put on his shoulders and, uh, so this will be interesting to see what follows. Yeah, Devon, that's crazy. Devontae was a magnificent passer, and so was uh, Mario. Those guys were both really great. Even Russ Rob, uh, that team, that 08 team, those guys were able to throw alley-oops all over the place. So I hope, I mean, Dietrich, I hope he lives up to the hype. That was a little concerning against Vermont. And Vermont is a kind of team that will make the NCAA tournament uh, with some consistency lately. So that that's not a you know, a terrible home game or home win. It was it was nice to see us pull that out, but it, it was a little close at times. And, and, you know, hopefully you'd expect Edric not to put up a donut like that again. If we do, we're going to have a lot of concerns probably with the consistency issue moving forward. And and one thing to say, LeGerald is shooting great. He, he really is. Um, do we have a go-to guy yet, though? I mean, would you say LeGerald's the go-to guy? Would you say Diedrich is? Do they have a lot to prove to you? Who, who's our go-to? 
Okay, that's a really good question, and we're going to get into some of these like bigger picture things. We wanted to cover some ground with what was going on, and then we were going to take a you know a view at uh, you know what's happened and what is going to happen. So let's you know break a little bit of ground there. Um, I think Diedrich, um, you know, from the the short amount I've seen, I mean, he shows an impressive amount of range. Uh, you know, a guy who looks confident to shoot the three probably can see it. I won't, or probably can hit it, so I won't judge him on the first three games, giving him an inside outside presence he's been missing layups it's been spotty early uh, he hasn't been uh, very you know forceful at the rim you know a guy his size who should be going for more dunks draw you know these are pretty classic things for a new guy um, you know um, uh, maybe you know feeling early season pressure that uh, the where the positives are how active he is the rebounds are there I've seen impressive passing he's he's shown some some really nice flashes with Udoka like a, a, a two-man post-passing game that could just be lethal, you know, um, you know, who, who's a team going to double if you, do, you know, a double, a guy who can pass right out to the next guy and you get dunked on. So I could see that LeGerald, uh, you know, a mercurial history, you know, coming out with a ton of confidence, but we've seen it, you know, he's, he's a guy, I, gosh, I, maybe, uh, maybe now's the time you want to talk or, um, I wish that this was his sophomore year. Yeah. You know, I wish that it wasn't his yeah, senior year. Right. This is where I was hoping he'd be by then in terms of confidence level. Uh, one thing to I think with LeGerald that is something to watch for is is I th there's this thing that I've noticed with some KU guys. I think Svi might have actually struggled with this before Svi ended up just being an awesome player last year, uh, is when they start to get to this confidence level of being comfortable to take over at home, but then away – sort of disappearing. And so, you know, you look at LeGerald being awesome, you know, in Allen Fieldhouse, and the game where he wasn't present really was the Champions Classic on that neutral floor. Is LeGerald going to disappear on the road? I don't know. I sure hope not. But, uh, yeah, we, we've seen him be really quiet. It almost seems like he's the guy that needs a leader. But I hope, you know, he's definitely been vocal about uh, feeling like he is a leader and wanting to step up and get more, you know, playing time in the past. So this is his chance, dude. Uh show it. <laughs> okay, I've got some thoughts on LeGerald. I'm going to try and knock these out real quick. I think he's, I'm fascinated. I think he's probably the most fascinating story on our team. We've seen a lot of years of KU basketball, 14 straight Big 12 titles, and he's one of like the rare like, I cannot like connect his story to another, you know, right? Like he was, you know, not good enough his freshman year to be significant. Started to show hype his sophomore year, and then had a, a very strange junior year where he's, you know, being a part of this of Kansas program that can produce lottery picks and at the same time guys like Frank Mason Devontae Graham he got lost in the fold what happened at the end of the year he was pretty much just a persona non grata and Bill Self was just fed up with him you've talked about in the podcast on the past that he's had a spotty history going back with Josh Jackson bad behavior things just kind of an interesting guy and that would fit him in the mold of that wouldn't be unusual we've seen guys like Brandon Green you know fall in a certain doghouse and um, you know but, but he's always shown the extreme potential athleticism leading to great defense and possibly good shooting. But like a, a really unusual doghouse, I don't remember this ever with a Bill Self type player where Bill Self was pretty much like, we are so loaded uh, and you have talked too long about your NBA, you know, interests and prospects, you know, of yourself. And it didn't seem like he was ever listening to, to Self that Self was like, go. I don't need you. And it put mm -hmm. LeGerald in a really tough position of, as a junior, 
junior, he was basically saying, go redshirt, go to another school if you can't make the NBA. He didn't make the NBA, went to the combine and obviously didn't good news and, you know, really had to come back, you know, kind of shameful self. Uh, I'd, I'd never seen self really quite play it that way where self was kind of like, OK, I won't guarantee you a spot. All right. I think we've settled on like the best case for all guys that maybe he ate some humble pie. Self gets a, you know, four year guard where a lot of his guards are young and we've just had Devante. That just wraps up my thoughts that I find this very fascinating, and I have no clue what direction it'll go, you know? Yeah, I I don't know who to compare him to in KU history really either. He is this unique case, and uh, he was not quiet about talking about transferring in previous years because he felt like he wasn't getting enough playing time. And, you know, he was thought about going to somewhere like Memphis where he might get more playing time and be the star uh, and I, yeah, I got to a point where he was saying these kinds of things every year and it's like, dude, it's up to you to step up. You've seen guys around you come in, uh, just as ta- you were touted there, they were highly touted and you know, they're, they're playing harder. You got to earn it. And so I hope he does. I really do. But yeah, he's, it's, I'm glad that it got to that point. He's here to prove himself. And honestly, that, and to be honest, that NBA combine is something that would only have helped LeGerald because of his athleticism. He got to showcase his athleticism and talents and skills that, maybe aren't apparent in the games maybe like uh i remember when brandon rush was playing for us brandon rush is really good though but it'd be like a worse brandon rush it took brandon rush a few years to get that confidence up and it always seemed like he wasn't going to be the guy that was the passer but he was going to be receiving the passes and then do stuff on his own and he was an excellent shooter good defender uh legerald hopefully will improve a little bit i had issues with his uh past on the ball defense we'll see if that improves this year but his athleticism uh is great and i i would like to see him actually get you know a couple more assists per game be, be more involved in passing as well instead of just on the receiving end or just shooting up the threes every time I really like that thought. I think, and uh, I think that's a, probably a pretty good predictor for what to watch out for. That you know, does this team, as loaded as, as it is, really need you know uh, a, a guy uh, with the mega confidence that he's got to have 15 shots a game? Probably not. We, we it probably doesn't hurt to have a guy kind of give us a sense of character as spread you know out of you know with it with new young guys and the and the, and the transfers are so much talent. But you know, it's 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 hard to imagine. And I don't know if we see Diedrich being that assertive, but I think uh, Vic's money moments are going to be exactly, can he be a leader on the defensive game in a gritty Big 12 game, um, you know, or if the shot's not falling, yeah, can he be a playmaker elsewhere? You know, I, I the Champions Classic, he was a non-factor, essentially. I, you know, I didn't watch the tape that close. I don't want to, like, you know, say he wasn't, like, you know, holding down his own on a defensive guy. You know, usually by the end of the season, I think we get a much better, stronger feel for those kinds of things where we appreciate, uh, you know, a two-point game can still be significant. But he was generally pretty quiet and that's where like you know whether it fills stats or not exactly what you said we need to see assists we need to see defensive leadership and uh, he could the sky could be very high he could you know you know I after seeing these two games I would not you know he could be a shocking you know big 12 second team first team dark horse that we never saw coming you know um, mm-hmm. It's absolutely within play, or he could also just be, you know, a spotty, you know, mercurial player. Yeah, yeah, he could. Uh, one thing that uh, I didn't get to mention about that Vermont game, kind of uh, underrated performance out of Charlie Moore, actually. We'll get into more of the other players and 
and how their seasons are going here in a moment. But I thought Charlie Moore actually had a great game against Vermont, and that was where it kind of dawned on me, like, oh, you know, actually, I know Charlie Moore. We've watched Charlie Moore when he was at SMU play with KU in that uh, summer league uh, overseas where we were Team USA, right, all those college kids. We actually had Charlie Moore uh, play with us on that squad. So we've seen Charlie Moore play before. That guy isn't scared. You know, he's coming in kind of an experienced player, redshirt sophomore, after that transfer. So I wouldn't be surprised if Charlie Moore is able to kind of uh, step up and fill any sort of leadership void because that guy seems like he hasn't played with, with any sort of fear, any sort of lack of confidence, where if LeGerald disappears, that's that's a void that could be filled, I think, potentially. What do you say? I think there's a perfect chance. Uh, let's let's jump into minutes. Um, I thought this was really interesting. I collect some stats for us uh, just off ESPN or whatever, but a good chance to review after three games and exactly like guys like Moore kind of stick out. You know, if this, uh, if you see any, you know, uh, trends developing or trends lying in wait or, you know, patterns that might come. Okay, so one thing I want to talk about, the guard minutes. So uh, LeGerald has led all guards. Uh, I think the guards are interesting. Uh, LeGerald is the, the senior leader and then the rest are either transfers or very talented freshmen. So LeGerald's le- led with 105 minutes. Grimes and Dotson at 92 and 81 have gotten significant amount of play. So we've seen them out there and they've generally played pretty good. It's been interesting. Marcus Garrett also having experience played uh, in the final four last year with 64 minutes and then Charlie Moore at 53. And that's not insignificant. That means, you know, uh, about 17 minutes per game. Um, So uh, self is is spreading the guards, uh, the guard time out, uh, you know, he, he's, uh, I, I kind of wondered if Grimes and Dotson uh, were, you know, ready enough to be given minutes. Uh, Self is not, I wouldn't say, you know, famous for giving freshman guards unless he has to, like some really young team years we had, like with Frank Mason, a lot of minutes. But he's clearly, you know, really given them a lot of time with LeGerald kind of playing, you know, having like free reign over the small forward spot. Does anything stick out there? Uh, do you see that being, you know, the distribution or? Or do you see evolution happening there? Well, I think that it's it's going to be make for a nice season for Bill. What I'm seeing out of this is that Bill's able to take sort of a hot hand approach. You know, like you'll see with uh, football coaches taking whoever's running the ball down the field the best in a certain game. That's a luxury to have. You know, you get to rest up your other guys and play who's playing well. And, you know, and hopefully the hope is that a different game, it'll be a different guy. And I thought Grimes and Dotson blew me away and were really impressive in that Champions Classic. And then the Vermont game, they kind of weren't, you know, as impressive in LeGerald's step up and was nailing threes, eight for eight. So I, I think that that's what it affords. I thought Charlie Moore had much more minutes during that Vermont game, you know, so I didn't really look closely to see how many he had in the Champions Classic in Louisiana, but it must have been less. So... I think that it's it's kind of going to afford Bill the hot hand approach, and you know what you're going to get from Marcus Garrett. You know, he's not going to put in Marcus Garrett, and he's going to be shooting five for five from three. You're going to get a hustler out of that. I think, you know, I'm a big Marcus Garrett fan in terms of his fundamentals. He's going to come in. He's going to get rebounds. He's going to be contesting shots. He's going to fill the lane, and he's going to be aggressive driving to the basket at the very least. So I think that Bill's got a great guard lineup. I think that it's scaled appropriately now. We could see Charlie Moore move up and get more minutes. I think if he's shooting the ball well and LeGerald cools down, we'll start to see more of a regression of the mean. But Bill gets to use the hot hand, you know, if, if and also we can afford to be aggressive in our hopefully, you know, I like to see this afford some aggression in our um you know, on the ball defense out of our guards, because they can pick up fouls and they'll have guys that are able to come in off the bench. 
I think um, I think LeGerald's probably pretty safe uh, to hold down. He'd, he'd have to do uh, you know really get in uh, uh, Bill Self's ire uh, to to mess around. It seems like he's like a perfect fit for the small forward uh, spot where uh, unless Self wants to go with a more big lineup, I just I really see him holding down like a high amount of minutes there. I think it'll be interesting. I think Grimes and Dotson are, are definitely prime candidates. That, you know we could see stretches of Big 12 play where Garrett could become a starter and more to possibly even both my bet would be that Garrett maybe if you know Grimes and Dotson are turning it over being sloppy not doing you know being elevated to starter self's known self's absolutely known to do that that's going to be you know really interesting as we go to you know the big road environments where you know self's got a long history and you go to Manhattan and you go to Ames and uh, you know he's he's got a short trigger and uh, and he'll sense trends that yeah um, how, or how about Morgantown yeah yeah, you know, oh, uh, do you God. really want to lean on, um, you know, two freshman guards and uh, who are going to, you know, have to learn to play for the team and, you know, play these games and styles of completely changing uh, their play? Um, uh, that's right. I'm not, I'm not too worried, honestly, after the way they performed that Champions Classic. I was so impressed. They know that they can step up and play with the best, but Morgantown's hostile. I hate those games. Yeah. <laughs> I almost don't even want to watch them. It's, it's just nasty play in a nasty environment. A nasty crowd, <laughs> you know, nasty things. <laughs> yeah, F Morgantown. In a um, nasty gym. No, 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 I agree. I, uh, I'm nothing but impressed with Grimes and Dotson, but uh, also I try and have reasonable expectations. I think we'll we'll have some stretches of headaches with these guys because they're freshmen. That's I, I, if if we don't, I'd be I'd be more shocked uh, if we, if we didn't. Yeah. Um, but uh, maybe uh, maybe uh, even more interesting in terms of distribution and what might be coming. So we talked Yudoka and Dedrick, and you look at the uh, the minutes. Uh, basically, you know they they both have about 80 minutes each. So what's interesting is then the very small amount of minutes according to ESPN for David McCormick, Mitch Lightfoot, and KJ Lawson. So they each only have about 15 minutes. Really small amount of time. Um, maybe self has been going a little bit smaller than I realized. I mean, because you go that's five players for the bigs and five for the guards and it totals up to a lot less minutes for the guard or for the bigs so we know Yudoka and Dedrick are you know getting the majority but self's been uh you know pretty light on you know time for McCormick uh Mitch or KJ I think each have been interesting in their own way I think McCormick's got a, a real uh Silvio de Sosa type potential last year where he came on and became quite significant Mitch Lightfoot um I, I absolutely see an upward trend, especially come Big 12 play. He's absolutely, you know, he's not uh, the high talent guy, but we know you, you, we appreciate the fundamentals, the level headedness. He now has experience on the road, and when we get to tough games in Manhattan, he'll be the, you know, one of the first guys in when Yudoka picks up a few huge foul who could carry you for maybe even long stretches, even if it's not sexy. What do you think? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you see that. Yeah, yeah, I think you're exactly right there. Mitch's, Mitch's play is going to increase. He's going to be the guy that's relied upon to get solid minutes, defend as best he can, play fundamental basketball, get those rebounds. He gets a good amount of rebounds, a good amount of blocks for being the size that he is. Uh, I think one thing that was noteworthy is that he's starting to shoot threes this year. I remember seeing your message right away when Mitch stepped back and fired up his first three-pointer this year. Uh, I, I get it, though. I, I think that he'd have more minutes if he was making more of those, to be honest. Uh, the reason being that we've we've played smaller guard lineups uh, in previous years, and when Doak is out, we're really empty in the lane, and we've had Mitch Lightfoot trying to play against guys who are bigger and quicker 
were matching up with Doak previously, so he's kind of outmatched down low. Well, the only way to not be outmatched down low is to bring that defender out out of the lane and to try to draw them to where he's able to shoot threes or he has the ability to be quicker than them and get to the basket. So especially when Doak is in there, he can bring a bigger man away from the basket and especially avoid that big double team or congestion in the lane. So I see why they're trying to get him to shoot threes. I hope he starts making them, gets more minutes. Uh, but Mitch, I think he's a fan favorite. Uh, we like him in the in the group, and I think the fans do too. He's, he's a really uh, funny, great guy. So we're, we're rooting for him. Uh, I, one thing to note about Doak is that I, I think his conditioning just goes and gets better and better every year. I think he's going to be in less foul trouble this year, hopefully because of that. And uh, he's proving his free throws. He's running up and down the floor. I think that if we were to take a picture of him freshman year and hold it up to what we see now, it'd be it'd be surprising. Doak just continues to improve his conditioning and be relied upon for those big minutes. Um, do you think Diedrich will end up getting more minutes Uh down the stretch and Doak will get more rest. How do you see this playing out with those? We know that it's probably going to be Doak, Diedrich, and Mitch getting the three most minutes, right? I think the and the only reason they're not at like LeGerald type minutes 100 versus they're at 80 is probably they're also guys working through, you know, how do they, uh, uh, well, a mix of conditioning and foul trouble, you know, each as bigs are naturally going to get into. I mean, I see them being prominent players. You know, one guy I wanted to mention just because we talked Doak and Dedrick, actually, I would say that probably the biggest disappointment out of the 10 players we've really talked about filling out our lineup has probably been KJ Lawson. Like, it may depend on your expectations, but, you know, he's a guy who got stats at Memphis uh, to a little bit lesser degree than Dedrick, but I know he was in, like, I think he was hitting, like, the 15-point mark and maybe eight rebounds. I mean, pretty decent stats on most teams. And the thing is, like, he's just hasn't really revealed exactly what he might want to be, and I think that's going to be really interesting. There's plenty of time. So he's kind of a guy who's been pulling up from three. He may have that in his game. I haven't seen much, like, grit on, like, the rebounding edge. Um, I think this is a team that's going to be able to score in a lot of ways and doesn't need him for that and this is a guy who maybe at Memphis you know him and his brother were like the top dogs there but this is a guy who I like to forecast the tough uh, Big 12 road games and they could be anywhere they could be TCU they could be K-State and this is you know Udoka or Dedrick get a few fouls and the options are going to be Mitch and KJ and maybe David McCormick and if you're not a guy who's like you know getting gritty getting rebounds you know you're a guy who's kind of pulling up at random testing you know you know what you're you know if you're hot each game like Bill Self you know like um, Bill Self wants you know versatile big men who can go from the outside but I think that's a side he's going to need to show if he wants to find you know no you know minutes where that's where unsexy Mitch versus possibly sexy KJ, you know, Mitch is going to win out, you know, based on what he's shown. I don't know. Do you have any, I don't think, well, I don't think Mitch would appreciate being called unsexy, (laughs) especially after (laughs) how much he's worked out. Yeah. Well, yeah, I think it's, um, I'm just kind of wondering also, you look at these guards you have listed here, Gerald Grimes, Dotson, Garrett, and Moore. How long until Bill plays all them at the same time? You know, if Udoka and D- if Diedrich's not playing well and are in foul trouble, and same with Doak, why not put those five guys out there? Because the reason being is a couple of those guys can play big. Grimes is a big kid for a point guard. I, I'll say it again. He's built well. He's taller than average for our point guards, um, and, and he, he's athletic. And same thing with Marcus Garrett. Marcus Garrett's going to get inside and bang around and be real scrappy. But Gerald's able to sky as high as anyone in the league for rebounds. So those guys can, can at least play or compete in the paint 
So how long until we see those five guards? Uh, do you think that's a possibility? Because I think that'd be entertaining. I'm you know, kind of for it. I like what you're saying, <laughs> and this kind of speaks to big picture. Is um, uh, Big picture, we, we expected it coming in. I think we're seeing, I mean, we're as deep as we've been in a lot of years. We've had some pretty deep teams, but particularly regarding experience mixed with the talent. I mean, we're running 10 deep of guys who can, you know, who could start, you know, and it really wouldn't be problematic. And so what's interesting is, you know, as many types of teams as we'll play, like Self could potentially have a lot of fun here. You know, we've seen the last couple of years he's had to go small by necessity and he's worked it out. It's why he's one of the best coaches in the NCAA versus, you know, his classic years that this could fit the mold of where we have big guys to work around. But this could be a really fun year where like Self should be dictating every game he goes into, you know. Sure, you go to Morgantown, you're going to play, you know, the way they play. But just like you said, like, Maybe shock a team. You know, they think they're going to get the bigs out and they're going to, you know, that's the game they're going to get from KU and throw five guards, you know, to really throw them off and then completely flip it on its head. It's a, you know, it's uh, in another half. Like the versatility is you know, pretty endless, you know, the options with this team. It's exciting. Yeah. Yeah. I've just got to hope that Doak stays healthy, you know, throughout the year. That's one thing that we kind of forget about is that he did have that year where he was hurt. And so. You know, as long as Doak stays healthy, he's in great shape, and you know, stay out of foul trouble, and we should be in there uh, every game with with the depth that we have. Uh, you want to preview some of the rest of the Big Twelve and upcoming matchups for us? Well, a real quick thing, we we bypassed some of the upcoming games. You know, we've talked about a few of the past games, and uh, we'll try and get in uh, for some podcasts after uh, a number of these games. But I just wanted to note, you know, and this is going to the first game of the Big 12 season, the games that really stuck out at me looking at the schedule. So tomorrow uh, in Brooklyn, uh, KU plays Marquette, and this is frankly an interesting matchup. Uh, Marquette is a ESPN's BPI number 14, even though they're unranked. So, you know, don't sleep on them. Michigan State was number eight. Um, I think this is is an interesting team. I think they're coached by uh, Wojo, yeah, the old Duke guy. Um, but uh, so this could be uh, possibly, you know, our biggest matchup of the, uh, you know, of the the coming uh, non-conference season. Uh, one reason, you know, Villanova is, uh, you know, who lost a significant amount last year. You can't just draw the line, you know, between uh, the guys who rocked us in uh, the Final Four last year. But uh, Villanova's lost two straight. We'll we'll play them on December fifteenth as a number team, uh, number 22 BPI at Arizona State, uh, you know, uh, revenge game after, uh, you know, right. they shocked us in Allen Fieldhouse. They're BPI number 44, and that is on the 22nd, and then our first game will be a home game against Oklahoma in the Big 12. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree that this Marquette matchup looks really interesting. I think it'll be a really good barometer to gauge, you know, where KU's at. Even though Michigan State, I think their ranking it was appropriate, I think that matchup was a good barometer. These home games, we, you know, looked a little shaky against Vermont, Louisiana, where we, you know, you expect a team like KU to win by 30 at home in those games. So this Marquette game will be telling. I, I have the suspicion with this KU team that our guys are going to play up to their level of competition and maybe show up Marquette the same way they did against Michigan State would be the hope. Uh, but Marquette's known, uh, you know, but we've kind of alluded to some, gambling tendencies out of me uh, earlier but there are certain teams across college basketball in my uh last five years or so following all the games because of that reason that i would say are good teams to bet on because they are pretty consistent over the years and marquette is usually one of those teams that actually 
coincidentally enough, was one of my more favorite teams to place bets on because they consistently play strong defense. You know, they're going to have scores that are within a certain range. They're going to hold opponents down pretty well. So is that going to still be the case? Is that a perennial thing for Marquette? Uh, KU might have their hands full trying to score a lot of points on this uh, Marquette defense. So that's usually the kind of style that they play. Um, I remember watching Wojo uh, for Duke way back when. Uh, another connection to Duke. Uh, but uh, hopefully we were able to come out of that one because Marquette is going to be a good first challenge. And potentially, like you said, now that Villanova's stock is trending way down, our biggest non-conference game uh, before we hit you know the Big 12 important games later on at the start of the new year. <clears throat> Let's talk the Big 12 a little bit. Um, I'm going to knock out a few teams that uh, I think I'm most interested in K-State. I think they're uh, considered our closest contender for the Big 12. I'll talk about them after knocking out a few teams. Uh, there's a few I wanted to comment. Uh, I was looking at uh, BPI, uh, ESPN. I think it's an interesting ranking. Uh, you know, We've got a history of following that in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, at, uh, West Virginia still holds uh, number 17 BPI, even after a 2-2 two and two start. And uh, we've seen West Virginia lose... You know, I was a little wary of judging them too hard. We've seen them slip up early, but these losses were to Buffalo and Western Kentucky, so that'll be interesting. Hey, Buffalo's no slouch. Yeah, I know they lost Javon Carter, but they they bring uh, Kanate back, and um, and they bring uh, uh, at least one significant guard. So uh, the other forward, Asa Ahmad, um, West Virginia will be always always scrappy, and I, yeah, I'll never fully sleep on them. Um, uh, yeah, I, think- I, I would expect. Buffalo- Buffalo was uh, one of the first-round upsets last year, okay. like a 13 seed maybe, yeah. or maybe that was two years ago. Um, so I don't think they're a slouch of a team. You know, I, I want to say I saw them flirting with the rankings, uh, maybe being in top 25. Maybe I'm totally mistaken, um, but I, I believe Buffalo's not a totally crappy team. Western Kentucky, aren't they a team that will make like a 14, 15, or 16 seed every now and then? <laughs> I don't know. So... I don't know why I'm arguing in favor of West Virginia. I don't give you love Morgantown as you've been on uh, been on record consistently. I just you think Huggy it. Bear would, Huggy Bear would be fun to party with. I, I, There's <laughs> no denying that. Yeah, he seems like a great guy. Like he, I can't believe he's just over there on the sideline drinking vodka all game out of those water bottles. That's crazy. Well, speaking of not <laughs> fun places to party, TCU is their uh, rank number 18, but uh, not very high on BPI. They have uh, no major wins, but uh, yeah, they've got uh, right. They've got uh, that guard Fisher, and uh, they're they're a program on the up. Uh, they'll be interesting. I just noted uh, nothing really significant to say about who they played. Baylor, I don't know. This just Baylor not shot well they're not ranked but they're number 18 bpi that just feels right about right for baylor the same story for a scott drew team every year <laughs> they'll probably be ranked number one a little bit you know later like give it like a couple weeks and then they'll <laughs> fall off the face of the earth like we've just seen this story too many times you can add to that if you want but i'm ready to get into case state a little bit uh i don't know um K-State, what I wanted to say is they're currently ranked number 12. Number 16 BPI, that's the highest BPI uh, in the Big 12 uh, besides KU, although very bundled up close with West Virginia and Baylor. Um, K-State, I was just looking at there. They're undefeated. Uh, haven't played anybody very significant. I think they had a home scare against Denver. Um, but have won comfortably versus, like, Missouri. Um 
And uh, they play at Marquette in a couple weeks. Uh, and that's kind of their major non-con game. So it's going to be pretty interesting after K-State with a pretty, you know, shocking Elite 8 run. Um, even though they ended up, yeah, falling a, one of many to uh, Loyola Chicago. Um, so, you know, they've got an interesting, you know, quiet amount of hype. Senior Dean Wade. Um, you know, He's I, still there. <laughs> this is this is supposed to be his big year. He's pretty I funny. I thought he was a senior last year. Yeah, my memories of like at Manhattan really for him actually are like uh, maybe he's had one good year. You know, like he is the classic guy, white guy, large forward. You expect to you know go out of his mind from three versus. But uh, he was pr- oh, I think yeah. he was disappointing when we won there last year. Um, but they also bring back uh, oh man I, I don't remember. Or was uh, he hurt? They bring back sure he Brown. Wasn't hurt? They might have been yeah they bring back wade and they bring back brown you know i guess the tough question i don't know you know and what can i say we're cocky i you know is k-state you know when you line them up and ku's won 14 straight big 12 titles if k-state's on the top of the list are you worried you know do you do you see that happening do you see uh bruce uh turning the you know you know pulling off the mirror am i worried are you worried no (laughs) i'm not worried at all (laughs) (laughs) I'm <laughs> not, not worried. No, not at all. Uh, I'm definitely not going to lose any sleep over K-State. They have they return Brown and, and Dean Wade, but I'd gladly watch those two try to play LGV and Doak in 2v2. We return those two guys. So I think we have, once again, the upper hand. It's not much to worry about. You never like to see you know KU go down and lose in the octagon. That's, that's my hope, is that we uh, sweep K-State once again. I believe we've done really well against them and the most recent years, it's it's funny because last year K State fans throughout the season were all over social media calling for Bruce Weber's uh, dismissal, and then they end up going to the lead eight, and I'm over here enjoying it, giggling to myself because he saved his job for he sure. Won his job he, back, yeah. Yeah, you cannot let him go after an elite eight run like that. So I'm glad that K State fans uh, are miserable because they think they're stuck with him. But who are you gonna get? Who would they get that's better? Bruce Weber that went to a national championship and led your team to an Elite Eight? Who are you gonna get? They're K State in Manhattan. I mean, are they gonna are they are they thinking they're gonna go get Patino? You know, like what are they that's actually a really good idea. <laughs> I just gave them an idea, I guess. But I you know, like who are they expecting to get? I just don't see how you can improve from a guy who's been to a national championship, uh, like Bruce Weber. They I like sh- Bruce Weber. They could have brought back uh, Bobby Knight's son. Big 12 experience. <laughs> hey, I'm, there's always room for one more. No, night. yeah, he won his job back. Yeah, no, but trying to be as objective as possible with all the confidence that comes with having 14 straight uh, Big 12 titles under your team's belt. I think this, if you ranked, you know, all all 15 in terms of likelihood of winning the Big 12, I think this is probably on the higher end of uh, a mix of a, uh, you know, and and if if they fail to do so, I, I set that up for, you know, what that would be, you know, would this be shocking or not? And I just with the talent and with you know the particular level of a number of you know top level seniors, you know. Uh, leaving the Big 12 really the last couple of years in Big Buddy Heald and the Oklahoma team a year before, Javon Carter. And we just know what the slog of the Big 12 season does to a lot of these teams that start early. We've seen West Virginia teams that hop out. And um, so we'll see, you know, Texas Tech, yeah, you know, really looked uh, like they were going to get it with a number of seniors last year and even, you know, uh, a first round draft pick, that guy. But, uh, you know, that that game in uh, Lubbock, uh, uh, 
what was it the week before their their point guard uh, um, you know hurt his leg and was you know never quite recovered the rest of the season it was really disappointing for them but so I just say that all that just kind of objectively um, it'd be pretty shocking if K State you know could consistently it's it's I just see mid mid Big Twelve season it's not about upsetting KU in Manhattan sure they could do it maybe this is the year to do it but you know you know are they going to slip up in Waco in Stillwater and that's what you know or at home you know um, the way uh, you know KU continues to survive Big Twelve season in and out. Yeah, I just don't see him doing it. I mean, it's going to be tough for any Big 12 team to, to get a win at, at Allen Fieldhouse this year. Uh, it's, I don't necessarily see us dropping any of those. So is K-State going to be able to keep up the sort of consistency that it requires to win the Big 12 outside of our matchups between each other? Even Iowa State, you know, they they didn't look bad at all today. They played a pretty solid game today. Um, so they, they could end up being sort of better than their uh, enter this season being rated, you know, behind K-State and TCU and even Baylor getting more recognition with West Virginia than Iowa State, but they might end up hanging around. It'll be interesting to see how good they are this year. Um, also, you mentioned, hey, though, you mentioned 14 straight. Do you think that we would potentially ever have to vacate oh i was thinking yeah. about it too i was saying you know i was thinking as sunshiny as we've been we cannot have this podcast uh, objectively and you know as good fair-minded college basketball fans without acknowledging uh the big elephant hanging over ku and that will hang over to some degree all season and that is the fall adidas trial the revelations the scandal uh the uh, in trial revelations about ku and so uh, the short synopsis is the trial came out and while it supposedly focused and ended up with convictions for these three adidas guys frankly our names got called out in trial uh with you know uh the possibility of evidence behind Behind it, talked about you know texts and phone conversations on record with Curtis Townsend and Bill Self regarding Bill Self. I think the short story I can say, and I read it closely. And tell me if you disagree, Garrett. Was that basically Bill Self just didn't sound good? He was saying you know some having some pretty unfortunate sounding conversations you know about supposed fixers of talent, not naming dollar amounts, but talking about not good. And then Curtis Townsend, um, you know, is the guy who could come closest to maybe outright losing his job for some of the things he said that seemed to imply uh, benefits in money. Um, was that yeah, a decent synopsis? You, you know, uh, Yeah, yeah, uh, I think uh, I agree with you. There were some questionable texts. It depends, uh, our listeners, on how in-depth you've been following this and what articles you may or may not have read. But I know that one luxury of having this group uh, chat that Jason and I are part of with all our alumni is that someone's probably going to be watching and see an article go by and we share it with the group. So, you know, all these guys were on top of this. I was reading along with them with every article, you know, basically within the hour of these things coming out. And so we read some stuff that was, I mean, it's tough to look at and think that our coaches are in the clear. We saw these text message exchanges. It doesn't, you know, they are circumstantial. You do have to kind of deduce things from them, but they do say explicit things that are indicating that your coaches are doing questionable things. So, for example, in Adidas, uh, third party, uh, what, basically like a salesperson, essentially, that goes between and try to, to help make sure that players uh, go and play at certain places is texting our coaches saying, hey, you know, I'm not going to let you down on this one uh, regarding, I believe, DeSousa. 
and you know not like um D8, I think, is what he said, right? Or not like DeAndre. DeAndre and he yeah. was referenced to DeAndre Ayton, who ended up going to Arizona, implying, you know, hey, we've tried this before, and I ended up losing this kid to a different school based on what seems like benefits packages. So we're clearly indicating ourselves uh, being in the wrong and most likely knowing that we're doing things that are in the wrong, but specifics about what's being done, there is some distance there. Um, and I don't know what you would expect. I know that you've been kind of grappling with this uh, in terms of how far does it go? What should you prepare yourself for? Uh, do we expect what sort of ramifications will ensue? Is this thing going to continue on for a long time? Is KU going to get the hammer? Uh, I know you've had a lot of thoughts on that. Yeah, what yeah. So, um, right, there's uh... – Without deflecting too much, you have to acknowledge the interesting state in the NCAA, other things that have been revealed at a number of other, you know, there were a number of other colleges involved. Uh, you talk, I mean, you know, I mean, it's been a, a wild time of learning how the sausage is processed in the NCAA. Remember, what was it, mid-February last year, where in a single day, uh, the a reporter with Arizona said that uh, Sean Miller was wiretapped admitting to 100K payments, and he went from being like called at the highest levels on like college game day to be immediately fired to being like defiant and then he's still not out of the clear okay but I'm not not trying to point so and then uh you know we don't know you know all these amazing recruiting classes that go on at you know Duke Kentucky you know where we've had some comparable ones and you, you know, you'll, you never know how the sausage is processed. You know, uh, there's, you know, you, you can't be naive at an NCAA, you know, as an NCAA fan about, you know, the shadiness of AAU, the long running. I, I think as KU fans and getting more specific and getting back to, you know, our possible guilt and blame, you know, we've always tried to live with like a lot of confidence about, you know, our program should carry us. We shouldn't have to play dirty games. We, we never do that, you know. And then uh, you can get caught up in the pride game with the success we've had with self and uh then even sometimes we get a little you know uh we you want more success and you say the guy's winning championships so you want to say well we're, we're doing it the right way uh this has been a tarnishing time for self i think that in my eyes i can I speak for myself individually you know i've had to you know be realistic as a sports fan understand i've had to reevaluate i have to remind myself you know i don't want to be you know the the homer you know defending something you know i i, I like to question my sports values um he is not in the clear and apparently now the ncaa goes in there to investigate um you know is this you know you look at recent scandals like patino you know being you know really you know the strippers all that leading to a firing i think is on one level um but not too far of a level where you know they were involved with the bruce bowen payments and stuff the outright firing too i just want to compare to recent scandals say jim Beheim, who was suspended for m multiple games um um, I think that's a reality that self could really be looking at, and I think it's a tough question for KU fans. I think that's more in the vein um, comparable to, like, kind of the limits of probably what he's looking at. Um, uh, 
uh, all the, you know, and, and even those don't get, you know, all the evidence like brought out into the light of day that led to say a nine game suspension. Uh, I found this sobering. I've had to admit, you know, not to like pretend any longer that self is necessarily, you know, living, you know, or, you know, leading some angelic life. Maybe the sport itself doesn't work that way. Um, all right. I've kind of gone on a little bit. Um, I, I was wondering if you felt similar, if you had any comments and, uh, yeah. And then, uh, to follow, I was going to ask you, you know, what you think, uh, we deserve, you know, in the season on road environments and stuff, but what do, what do you think? So I, I, I've, I'm admitting here, my final statement is that I feel like self's legacy is tarnished a little bit. Um, although I'm kind of ready to just move forward. Yeah. Yeah. I think that I have a few different, uh, points, uh, to, to talk about on this and what I don't think you're at all uh, alone in that when I talk to fans who have been diehard for so long like you I feel like my approach to KU fandom has been a little different from a different direction to where I don't feel differently today at all about Bill Self than I did before this came out it, to me it doesn't change anything because this is something that I was not naive about occurring already before because stuff like this comes out every so often. We saw those schools listed before. They weren't. They were weird, wonky programs that make perfect sense for having this stuff occur. I believe South Carolina uh, was listed. Auburn was listed. Um, Creighton the top and of my Iowa head. State. There were so, a lot you know, in there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, these are blue collar programs. Uh, you know that aren't necessarily going to be at even necessarily a top four seed in the NCAA tournament and. You know, Frank Martin left uh, K-State, apparently a, a buzz of uh, violations, and Bruce Pearl got had to leave Tennessee, and now he's, uh, coincidentally enough, the coach is, is down at Auburn, and they're eighth in the nation now. You're telling me that this is just all coincidence? No, I, I have accepted that this stuff goes on in college basketball, and I actually am, am perfectly reasonably okay with it because at the end of the day, what's happening here is there is a family – who has something that is in high demand, uh, you know, this being a college athlete that can bring a program a lot of revenue, they technically deserve something for that. And they're not going to get it unless their kid ends up, you know, hitting the, the jackpot lottery and making it big in their professional sport. You know, a lot of those kids will go to college and not necessarily make it. And then what do they have? Do they actually have a worthwhile degree? Are they going to graduate? Or is the school going to follow through on that and actually follow up and make sure they are successful in life? Or are they just going to have them for that brief stint and get what they can out of them. And so that's the harsh reality of what is being, it was occurring here is that these students or college athletes, student athletes are potentially being used for their skills. Who cares if they're getting X amount of dollars or if their parents are getting these sort of benefits to have some improvements in their life? They actually made that, that human being, it's unfortunate to call it a product, but they produced this, this person, an individual that's going to bring a lot of revenue to the school, which leads into my next point that, I, my opinion is that we don't have to, as KU fans, really be worried about something happening to Bill Self. Uh, that would be, in my opinion, a stretch. And the reason for that is that this is a business. The NCAA is a governing body that is actually operating to make as much profit as possible. They, in my opinion, are kind of like our college uh, FIFA. <laughs> they are run by a greedy people who are going to make up their own rules uh, year to year, and they're going to try to keep control over what they can. So the NCAA ha gets all this revenue from all these products, 
and a lot of it from college basketball is going to come from the University of Kansas. And so if they end up doing something that could threaten their business model or their revenue that they are generating, such as firing Bill or making sure that Bill Self is fired or that he has to leave the university or that KU gets some sort of extended penalty, their revenue is going to go down. You know, they're going to have less people involved, less people buying things, KU. They're not going to be able to get, you know, necessarily showcase new uniforms all the time. Who knows if the NCAA, like the NBA, is going to eventually start having ads on their uniforms. That's something that's in the future. You know, they're not going to get that same sort of revenue by by threatening Bill Self and KU's uh, cash flow business, you know, that, that they're getting. So I'm not too worried about Bill Self. I could see some sort of... Uh, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if we have to go back and I think it's very possible to have to vacate wins. You know, we had wins with Silvio D'Souza and I think that right now he's being held out indefinitely and Billy Preston didn't play because we did things that weren't weren't right. But I think that a lot of other schools are doing those same things. I think it's very commonplace and we're gonna be under a bigger lens, under a bigger microscope. And if a team like Maryland is mentioned in the same scandal as we are, and they're going to struggle to be a top 25 team, then it's perfectly reasonable to say, okay, if their recruit is making X amount of money, well, KU's recruits or a top 10 nationwide players coming in are going to make 4X. You know, that's going to be what people are going to look at. It's going to draw the headlines. We're going to be the focal point, and so be it. I'm, I'm You know, we talked about this uh, earlier. I'm all for being that being that target, having that target on our back, because for all we know, the rest of the nation views KU basketball like we view Duke basketball or a rival program that's large. They probably view us in the same, you know, put us in the same breath as they do a program like Duke, where they're going to hate us without knowing us. So if they're going to have some sort of firepower now, so be it. It doesn't change the way I view our team. And if anything, uh, that gives us a little more fuel to our fire. Um, we, we just got to take it in stride. I'm ready to move past it, too. I hope that uh, Bill Self and, and KU ends up okay. I think he's – I really like him as a coach. I think he's, you know, one of the best, if not the best coaches KU has ever had. Great guy. And so I'm supportive of him. I just think that this is something that happens in college basketball and, and college sports, you know, the top two sports. Yeah, and I don't want to be wishy-washy on my opinion. Um, I'm in with Bill Self. And so when I said he's tarnished, maybe I should clarify. What I mean is, like, I guess I've decided, like, I don't think we're going to, like, settle when what I hope is the continued long Hall of Fame, uh, and I anticipate to be the con- continued long Hall of Fame tenure of Bill Self. I don't think we're going to, like, leave it being honestly like he's some holy Coach K type um, that I think Duke tries to make Coach K out. And I think the more they do, the more they set them their own selves up for one day. Anybody with hubris could, you know, come to realize, you know, oh, you know, the brotherhood, all that. Like, you know, we, we've learned a little bit about the sausage grinding. We've, you know, we've seen the ugly text messages. That for all we know, all the other guys could coach. And I, I completely agree with you that it's, it's you know, you know, if, you know, even, even, even suspensions that could come, if 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 that was the NCAA took it and you know range of punishment possibilities I think you've hinted we we've seen it it's either suspended games vacated wins you know pretty serious would be missing a tournament I mean K 
KU's in the 80s this happened to it you know anything could be on the table I think that all that would just be scapegoating by the NCAA of course you know none of this going after the systematic problem I think that we're both uh, yeah interested in seeing a changing uh, a more specific thing uh, tell me if you agree with this I don't expect to see Silvio de Sosa play I feel like uh, we've just right. seen this story with these power forwards and uh, yeah the second the right like like uh, oh we're I mean, their their exact wording uh, uh, we're holding him out till you know further investigation I mean wasn't we there wasn't that the Billy Preston story and and so often I I think it's probably Probably best for all parties. Uh, no ill will towards Silvio de Sosa, another talented player trying to get in, but it's probably right. just best for all parties if they move on. Mm-hmm. I know, and I know well, what Silvio could offer to KU, and he was very significant, you know, in the tournament last year. Um, yeah. What do you think? You think he plays? Well, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's something to be said about holding him out indefinitely. You know, if KU knew that they did nothing wrong, they would say, we know we did nothing wrong. We're going to play Silvio and the NCAA can institute their own stuff. But they're not because I think clearly the reason why you don't play a player is because you know that playing them could lead to future vacated losses. I mean, that just seems to me like why why you're doing it. Is you know that if you play them, you're breaking rules. And that's the reason not to. If you were in the clear... You wouldn't do it, but once again, I, these kids aren't going to be. A, I'm not going to fault these kids. I'm not going to fault Bill Self and the university because I think this is something that should happen. You know that these kids are bringing something valuable that is going to produce a lot of money. They deserve some sort of compensation. I know they're getting. I'm, you know, I know how much they're they're getting. Um, but hey, if they're so good that. <laughs> Just wearing Adidas gear is is worth tens of thousands of dollars. Then hell, they should have it. I'm, I'm all for them having it. Um, I don't. I, I I think a suspension for Bill Self would hurt KU, but they could get through it. You know, it'd be I think just a matter of a few games. Um, I I think a vague vague. How would you feel though? You know, let's say that they disallow our Big Twelve streak. Or, you know, and we have to start all over. Does it become that many consecutive with one gap year? Do we have to start all over again? That'd be I know a, that you've lucked, you've loved the streak. Well, how would you feel if we had to sure, vacate? Sure, that'd be a bitter pill. Yeah, simply. Uh-huh. Yeah, like, like right, like, uh, I, yeah, ranking uh, punishment possibilities. A couple game suspension would be frankly a slap on the wrist we'd absolutely have no problem you know no problem all all that yeah vacating some things that lead to his legacy that'd be a pretty bit a bitter pill to swallow you know Mm -hmm. um and maybe and it's just that's something i've been reflecting on yeah you have to be careful with hubris um we've enjoyed nothing but the legacy we know all the players behind it and it's hard to you know connect uh, you know all the things that have been so amazing frank mason everything that's perry perry ellis going going on back to 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 any of this and uh and and in all those wins. So that would, you know, that would just be something for the critics. Uh, I guess, yeah, the last thing that comes to mind, uh, sort of related to that will just be like now uh, past De Sosa, it's kind of a cloud of indecision to a certain degree. Supposedly the NCAA is investigating and it'd be fascinating whatever timing they would do. Would they do anything? Would they comment? Would they make any decision mid season near the NCAA tournament? Would they bury it in the summer? Um, We'll see. Well, isn't it also like a Justice Department investigation? Sure, sure. Yeah, whatever's ahead, so right? Like, I think, 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think it's in the best interest of the NCAA to go down this rabbit hole because I think if they start investigating how many teams have liaisons from Adidas, I bet it's a, a lot of them, you know, and you could not even necessarily be just talking D1. Uh, there could be different things like this going on in the $100 amounts at many schools across the country. So why would they want to investigate this? If they do, they're going to go down a rabbit hole that's going to uncover a lot of stuff. So I'm just kind of wondering the extent of their investigation. I think they'd try to wrap this up, or that would be the hope. Otherwise, you're talking about potentially instigating a full reboot of the entire system, which we may or may not before, be for that. But I think that you're not alone in this sort of feeling of, um, I, I would call it maybe confusion about how to feel. You know, like, do you view KU as, as in a negative light now after you viewed them so positively? And basically, it's, it's, I think, from a place of unconditional love is that you have this sort of sense of, should I feel betrayed or like I have this sense of betrayal? Should I be feeling that? I don't think you're alone at all. Talking with uh, my landlord, he's a good KU fan, good guy uh, in the office building next to me. He was telling me, he was sharing similar sentiments. He he felt down about the team entering the season. He wasn't as hyped, uh, you know, to go to some of the early games because he he was worried about this. And I, I think that comes from a place of being so, you know, having this almost sort of blind love for the team you don't necessarily consider that this could be happening at your school, even though the real truth is that it's happening at a lot of schools across the country every year, all the time. You know, do what you got to do to get recruits. It, it may extend to, to different levels of benefits. And so, you know, just if you view it from that lens that it's occurring everywhere, then you can't really be, be upset at KU. And that's where I come from being like, I don't feel different about Bill Self. I like Bill Self. I'm I think he's a great coach and a great fit for KU. So it'd be, I hope nothing happens to him that's too extreme and that the NCAA helps just, you know, stays in their best interest and doesn't go too far with this. I think it's a little bit interesting. I was just thinking of fresh new thought, like team wise, kind of an interesting team for this to happen to. Um, you could imagine other teams with like, let's say this was a year before with a four year Devonte Graham and Sfee, the year before that four year Frank Mason, where this could almost be galvanizing for like the players. This like, you know, uh, we weren't a part of that and we're against the message and the world against us. And this is, I, I don't know if this is meaningless, but this is like a team this year of transfers and kind of new guys, you know, that, uh, you know, is, is Yudoka, you know, uh, or LeGerald really like a, like, ah, you know, like, are they the true unquestioned team leader? Is there a guy who would turn this into any kind type of like rah-rah team moment? I don't know. It, kind of just an interesting team uh, in that sense. Um, but maybe that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, hot take. Charlie Moore ends up becoming a team leader by the end of the year and he comes from a place where they're very used to cheating and over at SMU. You just want him you just want him to be Russell Robinson so bad, don't you? He's dude, he's I would place him in terms of bulldog level. Uh, yeah, Russ Rob. Russ Rob is is slightly less than Frank but more than Devonte uh versus OU. So yeah, I, I would put Charlie Moore in there. It, I'd, I'd compare him to Russ Rob. I like that comparison. Are the were the undergrads listening to this podcast even born for Russell Robinson? Do I have my dates right? <laughs> Let's see. Russ Rob was uh, what oh five through oh six. He was was he a sophomore that year? I'm being facetious. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure. New York, New York, Russell. Right? Was he from New York, New York, or was it 
Brooklyn, New York. Gosh, we're uh, we sound like two old heads, don't we? Is is this? Hey, a that's sad okay. Reality? I mean, the average age of a KU basketball fan is sixty-seven and a half, so we're good. We're still young. <laughs> is that a fact? Huh? <laughs> yeah, I just googled it. Hey man, wow, we've covered a pretty amazing amount of ground. This has been the season preview, like if you yeah, will, for good. starting in the middle that I wanted. I guess I didn't want to leave this episode. I mean, without giving some comment to. So, like I said, we're going to talk about our other interests, and we're both two guys from the Kansas City area. This is the best Kansas City Chiefs team I've ever seen. Is there any other? Can you can you can you say anything else? I mean, I really think so. Yeah, no, it's great. I mean, I or or am I off? Am stop. I off? Is the, def- does no, the defense I, give you pause? Well, the defense, the defense sucks right now. I mean, it's but you know we're gonna get Barry back after the bye. I think everybody's looking forward to that. We're a different team with him uh, back there. You would hope that our secondary would learn to not, you know, to be able to play defense without drawing penalties all the time. It just means that we're slow and we're a step behind everybody. But with regards to uh, Pat Mahomes, oh wow. We're, we're drawing comparisons. A lot of people that um, are comparing him to sort of like an Elway, John Elway, where we're going to have the John Elway that drives other teams nuts. Um, you know, his drive down the field to close out against Denver, come from behind win, that was something else, that left-handed throw. But like I said before, I'm, I'm, I'm salty coming off of this loss, loss last night. I don't know about you, but uh, I, I took it a little hard. I really saw many opportunities for the Chiefs to – to take a clear advantage and maybe run away with the game, uh, start getting dominant, especially opening the second half with the ball uh, and driving down, and then it just all changes. You know, over and over again, we, we sort of gave the game back to the Rams and end up losing. So I'm I'm feeling a little rough today. I'm feeling a little ambivalent, but I do agree this, is, this has been the best season to watch that I've ever experienced. It's not like watching uh, Steve Bono 13 and 3. This is an exciting potentially 13 and 3 from a young quarterback who's just a fun guy. You know, this whole catch-up thing too. He's just in- <laughs> entertaining. I I I I'm bummed to we're just a day off uh probably a legendary game lived past its billing Rams uh, Chiefs gosh uh, all the way to the end but I, I don't know I've tried to stay measured all season even after they lost at New England it is just so unbelievably fun it is just so incredible to me I'm still I've rooted for the Chiefs all my life everyone you're talking about Trent Green Steve Bono the good the bad Brody Croyle, Alex Smith, Elvis Gerbach the, the, the highs and the lows <laughs> all the coach and it's just like we got the guy, and how much that shifts the paradigm. It just seems like it's just still hard to imagine. And the NFL can be brutal with it's so many things with injuries with all this. But but the guy we have our hands on right now and the unbelievable talent he's shown and how quick the team has even risen from even a very good success with Alex Smith. Um, and I live in the Chicago area and I hear all just, you know, guys on the green Bay Chicago side, but, but getting perspective that he really is, you know, right up there at the talk of the league. It's still, so we come out of games like this and I'm still just even like kind of in awe of the game itself and that the chiefs are in that type of game. And, um, and I'm just, yeah, it's, it's so I'm just trying to have perspective. That's, that's a silver lining to me that I, as many heart, you know, playoff heartaches, you know, I'm just like the team I see is, has so much more potential than, you know, the way Alex Smith, you know, uh, was up 28 on the Colts or, 
the way we blew it to the Titans. And I'm sure that could happen. Our defense, you know, is, is horrible, you know, or, or can look really horrible, even though we can get a lot of sacks. But, man, Mahomes is – he just looks like – the future it's oh it's just incredible i don't know yeah we can score we can take the ball and we can score in about three minutes against almost anyone in the division that's something else you know that both these games i think the takeaway from each of these losses new england and the rams so that they're both road games we actually end up covering the spread i believe i think we were three and a half points uh end up losing by three both games i think right against new england so it was it was a close game. It was definitely last possession. So, and that's where a situation you're thinking, wow, if these teams would have come to Arrowhead, ooh, different different story with our home home crowd being the way it is. And especially, you know, you think it's hopefully going to be a different story when we have both Houston and Eric Berry back uh, on our defensive end. They were both out of the game against New England. So there are a bunch of silver linings. You know, you don't think that Pat Mahomes and our offense are going to turn over the ball that many times again or more in any situation or scenario so we should hopefully come out in games like this but you definitely want to make sure with a young court I'm always wary when you have somebody that's so young uh so good so young you know how long does this continue is he going to be able to be this awesome for 10 years that's a lofty expectation so I'm going to try to take it week by week and enjoy it as much as possible being a the Chiefs fan for this long like you say we have never been awful there was that one season where we won like one game against the green bay packers which was hilarious uh and um but besides that the chiefs are generally in playoff contention or a playoff team our whole lives unlike the royals but this is very similar to the royals where we've gone through questionable quarterback after questionable quarterback and having these one you know this one piece be missing here and there if you know our defense can come to form to where they're good enough, I don't see us missing a piece this year, and this is potentially as fun as as the Royals were uh, when they were great in 2015. I'll say my closing thought on the Chiefs is, I think Andy Reid. I don't know why he wouldn't, but he's got to look at what remains as this is his chance, and I think the particular thing he needs to not blow, and we've been in the running for this the last couple of years, is number one seed in home field advantage in the AFC West. I think what I'm what, what I'm referring to, and I heard other guys talk about this, and I like this line of thought is don't overestimate windows you know don't like like we need to try to win out as if we weren't you know like going to be trying but we need to this year it you know it's probably too i think the trade deadlines pass it's too late to make you know some of the big trades they were even hinting that you know the chiefs going all in but you know windows can change for all kinds of reasons you know god bless you know Mahomes' health but even like the other guys around him you know the nfl just doesn't last and i just hope that they realize like this is a Super Bowl caliber team win out take on New England or Pittsburgh or whoever at home make that a home game do every you know don't don't screw around you know the the rest of the schedule isn't particularly hard or much harder than I think anybody else's but uh yeah you know New England and Pittsburgh are both coming for that number one seed um they got to get it yeah what if uh I just had a thought. I don't know if we want to talk about this or get too in-depth on our podcast because it's a little controversial, but Marcus Peters, you know, what if, I, I don't know, there were mixed, a lot is very controversial, a lot of uh, mixed opinions on his departure. Ends up making a big play late last night, somebody I didn't really think of at all very much this season, ends up being there, and it's, you know, our defense is pretty bad. Do you wish we had him? 
Uh, he, you know, he was getting burned a lot, and he got bur- he got torched by guys like uh, uh, Michael Thomas on the Saints. I don't know. You know, he got a tipped interception fall right in his lap. I thought that was just like a perfect little ESPN moment where it was like, is he actually having a good game? I I haven't been impressed. He's been getting torched, I think, actually quietly all season. I think that was just a, a perfect setup moment on the stage for him. I'm actually going to say no. I don't regret uh, getting rid of Mark. Marcus Peters. Yeah, I thought it was kind of uh, rare last night. Occurrence Travis Kelsey, Kelsey uh, dropping a few passes late. That's not going to happen every time. Uh, it, I was surprised the Rams didn't use their run game very much. We didn't see much girly. And I don't know if that's because they figured we would plan for that attack. It seemed like we totally did, and they wanted to throw us off guard with a lot of, a lot of passing. But that was bizarre. You would think that after David Johnson just ran all over us, um, that that might be something they would go to and that I was really scared of, of facing. So I don't know, you know, if these two, it'd be great to see a rematch in the Super Bowl. I don't know what those, those odds are probably pretty low. I mean, honestly, the Rams have to win a playoff game just like the chiefs do. They haven't really proven themselves in the playoffs yet. And the saints are playing awfully good football, but it'd be nice to see them again and uh, just dominate them in the Super Bowl. <laughs> I don't know about dominate being possibility, but uh, I think that you could see a totally different game plan if they were to play again, and the you know the Rams come run heavy, and the, the Chiefs get Kareem Hunt quite involved also. All right, man, I am in agreement. Uh, I think we will be following the Chiefs for good reason in a special year along with this in our podcast time. Um, I'm sure we will be back soon uh, for the Marquette game maybe. Uh, Yeah, with this uh, Thanksgiving weekend, we're glad to be back. We're trying to get some reps, get a little bit smoother for you, the audience. So I think especially with the holiday weekend and some things coming up, uh, maybe we'll see what we can do there. Um, Or else we'll be touching in uh, maybe once every two weeks in in our busy life lives and uh yeah uh we appreciate uh, you the audience for making it this far and uh you know chime in uh either through soundcloud or if you're our friends or family uh, we love to hear comments or updates for what you're thinking uh, any last thoughts Garrett? yeah i have a couple thoughts uh, one thing i noticed i think your chicago accent has gotten stronger uh something i noticed during the podcast chicago interesting to hear yeah it'd be interesting to hear and play back compared to me who's never left kansas really uh, and also, I don't know, I think you mentioned sausage like three or four times during the podcast. Is that, did you eat some sausage for dinner or something you're really craving? I don't Grind the sausage. Hungry? NCAA, you know? this is how we're, we're learning how the sausage is grind up. You got to have a beer. <laughs> you got to have a good time. You're in the city, <laughs> Chicago. All right. Well, yeah, I think that we should make a deal that when you and I both watch, uh, you know, the games closely and get to follow that we should go ahead and do a briefer follow-up while it's fresh in our minds try to stay on top of it this year so glad to get back at it with you buddy that's about it for from me for tonight all right well uh thanks everybody this has been the bleed crimson and blue podcast and once again we out peace